Diversity in Action podcast presented by the BLX Internship Program. Join us as our hosts, Emlyn Miles Mattingly and Louise Rosa interview guests from across the financial planning field to highlight the real change that's happening in our industry. If you're tired of just talking about diversity and want to learn about what's really being done to make the demographics of our profession more closely match the population of this country, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by eMoney Advisor, LLC. eMoney provides technology solutions and services that help people talk about money. Rooted in holistic financial planning, eMoney solutions strengthen client relationships, streamline business operations, enhance business development, and drive overall growth. More than 98,000 financial professionals across firms of all sizes use the eMoney platform to serve more than 5 million households throughout the United States. To learn more about eMoney, visit eMoneyAdvisor.com. Welcome to the Diversity in Action podcast. I am your co-host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, along with Louis Rosa. And today we are going to be talking about, this is the actual first podcast that we've had on the Diversity in Action podcast. And we are very fortunate today to be joined by a very, very, very good guest. We'll get to him in just a sec. We just wanted to give you an opportunity to understand why we started the Diversity in Action podcast. The Diversity in Action podcast started with our BLX internship. And if you're not familiar with the BLX internship, it's Latinx internship, which is for aspiring Black and Latinx financial advisors. And so we'll be talking about what diversity looks like when it's actually in action on this podcast, bringing on some incredible guests. And we're going to kick this one off today. So I'm going to pass this over to Luis and we are going to get started. Yeah, thank you, Emlyn. Uh, welcome, everyone. Yeah, we're doing this podcast just to continue to raise more awareness. We're honestly tired of just talking about diversity and inclusion. So this is bringing people that are trailblazers in the industry that have already done a lot of the work that needs to be done and continue to do so. The men we're about to introduce needs no introduction, but just to give you a quick background, he's on the CNBC advisory board. He has written several books. He just recently shot an episode show with PBS called Opportunity Knox. He has gone from just being probably, I still think he might be the first Latino with the CFP certification. I don't know if we can officially find that out or not, but Trailblazer, man, uh, somebody that I look up to from afar. And uh, we just honored to have you, man. The man that needs no introduction, Luis Barajas. Thank you, Luis. And thank you, Emlyn. I really appreciate you guys. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing and, and all the energy that you have behind it, working with Latinos and working with African, with Blacks and in this industry. So thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, man. And thank you. I know you're super busy. There's always a new venture. Every time I speak with you, <laughs> it's like never ending for you, man. It never ceases to amaze me. So yeah, before we get into everything, can you just tell us a bit about your career path, you know, from your when you started and yeah. where you are? So, you know, I mean, I'll try to cut it really, really short. You know, born with Mexican immigrant parents, born and raised in East Los Angeles, the old famous East out, born in East LA song in Boyle Heights. You know, my dad almost went bankrupt when I was like 11 years old and he bought a welding machine back then. And he asked me if I could help him start his ornamental iron business, his wrought iron business. And and I said, sure. Why? Because I was the eldest and because I spoke English, right? Of the kids. Mm -hmm. And out of a sense of obligation, not because I didn't know what the hell was going on. A couple of years later, my dad gets audited. For, well, for, well, he doesn't even get audited. The IRS come to his shop and knock on the door and they ask him if Mr. Barajas has filed his tax returns. My dad looks at me and he goes, what's that? And I go, I don't know. What is that? I asked the lady, what are you talking about? 
And she told me that your dad has a business and was filed business tax returns. The way I made it out of the box was I used to love books. I still that well, you know, I've read like a hundred books a year for God knows I don't know how many years now. So I asked them, the lady, is there a book that I can read? And she said, yeah. So in East LA, and as of last night, okay, we're talking about in 2022, there is no bookstore there. And there was no bookstore back in 1973. So my dad drove me like 15 miles out to Hacienda Heights. And we went to a bookstore, bought a book. Back then, you two gentlemen are too young to remember, but you would go get all the IRS forms, Luis, at the post office. That's where you would get your forms. And you wow. get a whole bunch. Yeah, that's how you get the forms. And I filed my dad's tax returns a couple of years later. He gets audited for those returns. I did them with pencil. We sent them in. And in El Monte, California, my dad and I are like, just like, we're shaking. We're sweating. We don't know what's going to happen. We think they're going to take away my dad's house and everything is business. Uh, long story short, that lady asked my dad, you know, Mr. Barajas, who filed your tax returns because there's no prepared signature here? And he goes, my son did. And he goes, which son? He goes, this son. So the agent asked me, how old are you, son? And I said, I'm 15. Because these returns are two years old. You were 13. There's no way you could have done them. And she said, how would you know how to depreciate a welding machine? Well, I read a book. It said that you get this. You know, you do a mid-month convention, yada, yada, yada. And I go, did I do them wrong? She goes, no, you did them right. Ends up, <laughs> no change audit. Let's just go. We're shaking. I mean, I, I think my pit, I was only like 15. My pits were stinky because, you know, I was like, you know, so nervous. And I told my dad, I've got to learn everything about money and taxes, dad, because if you're going to be an entrepreneur, I have to figure this out. I ended up going to UCLA, ended up getting my MBA at Claremont Graduate School. I studied there when Peter Drucker was there, ended up getting my CFP. And I go work for a big national financial planning company. And then, you know, I wanted to help people just like my parents in the barrio. And so I was the number one planner at the office in Pasadena, California, but I wasn't the number one salesperson. And so they had taught me that you should have build emergency reserves. Remember back, well, you won't remember, but back then Latinos were unbanked. 65% of Latinos in the United States were unbanked, no savings, no checking. So I would walk with them to the first interstate bank or Bank of America and walk them to open up a savings account and a checking account, okay? I wasn't getting paid. I was charging them the plan. They would charge back then like $1,500 for a plan. The people would pay me for that. And then we would start saving. And then I said, okay, you're going to call me when we have like six months. There was no e-money or aggregation software. I couldn't see what they had. And they would call me and say, great. Okay, so now we're going to work on your foundation. Now we need a term policy because you have two kids and you have a little casita and yada, yada. But there was a conversation they had with me in the office that said, you know, Lewis, you know, instead of putting them in a savings account, you can open up annuity and put it in the savings feature. And that way it's both it's good for both of you guys. And you know, you get five percent. I go, yeah, but they're not gonna make any money. So I got very disenchanted with the industry. I left. I said I will never ever be a financial planner because it's all BS, because all they do is want to sell your product. So back in 1985, I ended up working at a firm called Kenneth Leventhal out of Newport Beach because I was already in the CFP program, the Denver College of Financial Planning back then. They wanted me to do planning. Now, I went there to go get my CPA license. But at the end of the day, I was the only financial planner out of 250 accountants. And so I started doing planning for people like Donald Brent of the Irvine Company, who's a billionaire, all these multi... And this is a kid from Boyle Heights doing financial planning and not back then... Gentlemen, CPAs could not sell any products. It was against mm-hmm. all they could not sell products. So I was, it was like I was humbled. And I said, oh my God, the epiphany is if I could do this for my parents or my own community, this would be incredible without the push to sell something. And there isn't anything wrong with products, but the products are basically a byproduct of after you've done real planning. And I didn't like to do planning from a manipulative standpoint that you, it was really a plan to sell you a product. Right. And that's how it was done. Again, this is a long time ago. Maybe it's done now. I don't know. And that's kind of how it went. And so I, I just decided I quit one day working at a big firm. I had tragedy strike in 1990. 
I had my grandmother who raised me because my parent, my mom got pregnant with me at the age of 15, had me at 16, passes away. My uncle, who was a meat cutter in East LA, who loved books and would buy me books, commits suicide. And my daughter is born on September 8th, 1990. This has all happened within a few weeks in 1990. And on the day that my daughter was born, I met a gentleman at a coffee shop at the Renaissance Cafe in Lake Forest, California on September 8th. I don't even remember the time. I'd have been like 6 wow. in the morning. He has this long conversation with me because he sees that I'm putting cream cheese on a bagel and I'm getting a coffee because I'm heading back to the hospital. I had stopped off to go pick some stuff for my wife. And he thought that something bad was happening. I said, no, I said, I just had a baby at the hospital. So he thought my baby was dying or something because while I was putting cream cheese on my bagel, I was thinking about how I had just lost my grandmother and my uncle and my daughter who had just been born would never meet them. And so sad, right? The hands slept, that was sad. Well, we end up having a conversation with this gentleman out of nowhere. He's got a Hawaiian shirt. I remember that. We talk about 30, 45 minutes. I don't even know how long it took. Could have been an hour. Go back to the hospital. And I tell my dad, my parents show up like three hours later. And I tell my dad, dad, I met some guy who changed my life. I'm going to quit my job at, at Kenneth Limenthal out of Newport Beach, California, which is now part of Ernst & Young. And I went back to the body. I mean, we're talking Boyle Heights, Whittier and Indiana, baby. Mm-hmm. That's like the heart of the, the Chicano, right? The Mexican-American when there is no bookstore. And that's what I did for 15 years. And from there, I realized, Lisa and Emlyn, that I was poor, but I had great parents. I didn't know I was poor. Then I left and I built my career. Then I started living in nice neighborhoods and I moved to Irvine. Then I was working for these really wealthy people. And you don't realize your mindset changes, right? I go back to go help the poor because back then I I didn't know that I was the first Latino CFP because I still think I am because nobody else has challenged me on that. Mm -hmm. But the point is that I go back and then I realize, oh, heck, their financial education is not going to help the poor. It's a mindset. I was there for a while. And I honestly, uh, Luis and Emily, I, in the evenings, there were two or three times where I literally cried, locked the door, threw the keys away, said, I'm never coming back to this community. It's just that they don't get it. And I, for some reason, I kept there. And you know, I became poor helping the poor because we weren't making any money. I mean, actually, I gained weight because they would all feed me with food. They didn't have money to feed me, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of what I evolved. So I wrote one book and then a second book and then a third book. And then I did a commercial for Hyundai, a national one in Spanish. And the actress happened to be marrying somebody at Sony, who then becomes a, a, a Sony, uh, the president of Sony Music Latin, who then has two artists who get ripped off. And then he says, can you do business management? And I said, no, what's that? And then he goes, well, that's accounting. Well, yeah, I worked as an accountant and my wife had worked as an accountant. So he showed us how to do it. That was like 20 something years ago. So we've kind of morphed into a wealth and business management firm. And we cater with people from the barrio still. And I've got clients like Nikki Jam and, you know, Camilo and Evaluna and Mao and Ricky and Ricardo Montanera. Clients are making millions of dollars. And at the end of the day, all of them are, were also poor, who will now have a ton of money, but don't know how to do with it because they don't have the mindset or the education. And some of them, we try to make sure that we're not spending the money on all the watches and the cars and the homes. So that's where we're at right now. So I have a wealth management firm. I have a business management firm called Business Management Lab. I own a tax firm. We, we took the tax firm out of that called U.S. Latin Tax Group, where we only really do tax returns for really entertainers and entrepreneurs in U.S. and Latin America. So we're very good at the international side. And so that's what I'm doing. We recently created an insurance agency. Now, I have been a fee-only advisor for 15 years. When I got to the current firm that I am, they had an insurance company. And so now I have to say that it was fee-based. And so the thing is, we opened up an agency because at the end of the day, I realized that over the years when we had 
sent people to go get insurance. They were selling them the wrong debt. They were trying to convert them from term to cash value when they really didn't yeah. need it, right? But I now have clients also that need the cash value because they're worth 20, 30 million and we need to fund uh, um, irrevocable life insurance trust. But I wanted to make sure that if a client comes in and they need term, only term, and that's it. And they're going to hear it from me. But before I, I had seen how they were trying to change their mindset and get people poor. So that's what I'm doing right now. So I've written five books. I've got a sixth book coming out. You said that I'm doing a show called, I did an episode. Actually, I did a, a series for, it's called Opportunity Knocks for PBS. We did 13 episodes. It looks like they're going to be picking up another season and maybe moving it to network TV. And it's with Gene Chasky and with Patrice Washington. And that launches in October. You'll see it in October on PBS. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, you were doing fee only before fee only was actually a thing. <laughs> fee only was my thing. And let me just tell you, and I will share with you that to this day, it's a fee only mindset because I don't ever think about product. I do planning. I build for planning. It's the most important thing. The only thing is, again, this firm had an insurance that they never did anything with it. But Napa dropped me because they had it. But they don't do anything. It's not even a real thing. I believe in fee only. And it says, no, even if it's you're associated with it. So I was there at this firm. I actually brought the wealth management side to a firm. And because of the push for products and stuff as well, we decided to go back and do our own thing. So we're creating a new firm called International Private Wealth Advisors that will launch in the next three or four months. And we're going to go back to basically focusing on just diversity and clients that are or Latino and African-American. You seem like you're pretty busy, Luis. Very busy. Got a lot of stuff going on, man. Yeah, we do. And again, our clients are interesting, right? Because guys, you know how you guys do planning, but we're also doing, we're paying their bills. We're buying their homes, buying their cars, buying their jets, you know, hiring their nannies, firing their nannies. So we really get involved. We're doing, and all our clients tend to be, since they're Latino, they all have either homes here or in Colombia, uh, Mexico and Argentina. Those are the three main countries that we work with. We do also some work with Spain as well. Yeah. One thing you said that I really want to, when it comes to working with communities of color is mindset and how important that is. Like we talk to clients all the time and I think about, you know, the clients that I work with, I work primarily with minority families and like, even as the families have begin to, you know, acquire wealth, like as they, you know, they like my clients that I work with typically are first generation, six figure income earners that were do-it-yourselfers that can't do it themselves anymore. That's, that's my client. And so the struggles that I see with them is so like, and it's, I was just listening to what you're saying, but the struggle that I see with them is that mindset. Now you're making more money than you've ever made before. Now you have the house, you have the cars, you have all the stuff that you wanted. And now you're like, what do I do next? Or still living in a scarcity mindset. And it's so crazy to think like we have come to a place where we've actually achieved the success and I'm doing air quotes, right? Success, but still haven't achieved the mental success to go along with the actual, you know, success. Yeah. Well, let me share with you, right? So mm -hmm. I wrote a book called The Latino Journey to Financial Greatness, which is about the mindset of the Latino. And in that book, I have there this kind of ladder where most people that I work with were in the survival mode. When I say survival mode, I mean, we're talking about like my parents were like, you know, maybe a month away from having to move into a car, mm -hmm. right? Didn't have enough money to pay the rent. And then the next level, you get them going to the struggle mode. And then once you get them from struggle, they go into stability mode where they've got their job. And that's actually the most dangerous level, right? That's complacency. They get very complacent and more. Then you get people, entrepreneurs, hardworking people. They become managers, executives, level. They go to the next level, which is success. So I reach because I've been doing this for so long. I have a lot of clients that have gotten that to that trajectory. And then the same thing happened to me. And then what happens is your grandmother dies, your uncle commits suicide, your daughter's born, and then you realize, you know what? I'm making great money, but it isn't, 
it doesn't mean anything. And what we really were looking for the next level was significance, right? To make an impact and make a change. But in that level, what I talk about is that at the top level, the mindset is long-term thinking versus short-term thinking. Because if I went to church, if I'm in survival mode, Luis, and I go to church right now, but my kids haven't been fed and I don't have any money, I'll probably steal food to go for my kids. And I just came back from church, right? I got to do what I got to do. And so that's the mindset. But if I can get you at a lower level to start thinking at a higher level and a more long-term level and give you a vision, a picture. So what I've done is I have a puzzle box in my office that I've covered completely with white paper, right? And in that puzzle box, I tossed everything out and I said, these are your kids. This is your spouse. This is your marriage. This is your career. And I toss those pieces out and goes, and you expect me to put these pieces together for you based on what? There's no picture on the box. I don't know what this puzzle looks like. And what advisors don't know that in our community, it's like if they don't have a lot of resources and what we're trying to sell them a product is we need to make some money. But at the end of the day, it takes, there's a process to really get to know what their vision is like. And if you can get your clients to paint a better future, a light going forward, you know, not, not a light at the end of the tunnel with a train coming your way, but a light at the end of the tunnel where you're really getting out. When, if you can make that time, then your clients will work with you because you figured out the whys they painted their picture. And I would guarantee you 99% of most advisors are not taking the time to learn the values, the roles, the goals, the picture that they're working towards. And it's just kind of your general, what we've been taught, what we've all been taught, right? I just And one last thing, when kids came to me in the barrio, when the parents came to me to save money for education, Right, the 529 plan. They saw a commercial on TV with Fidelity or somebody, and they have the kids graduate from college. Remember, in the community that I came, there was two high schools: Roosevelt High School and Garfield High School out of East LA. Sixty-seven percent dropout rate. The kids that went to college went to East LA College. Of the kids that went to East LA College, only three percent would graduate. That's just a community college. They wouldn't even go to college. And so the thing is that when people would come to me, I would say, "What's your goal? Well, to save enough money for my kid to go to college." But the problem in that community, the parents had never been to college. The kids didn't have good grades. And so we could have a million dollars in there, but the parents are not engaged and the kids have terrible grades and the kids have low self-esteem. It doesn't matter if you get a million bucks. The goal was not to have enough money. The goal was for your kids to graduate from college. So what money could we use now to use for that? And maybe it wasn't in a product. So by working for somebody else, Lewis, you know, you can put the kids in an annuity or whatever. That's not how it was. It was maybe the kids needed family therapy. Maybe the kids needed a tutor. Maybe the kids needed something for, you know, financial confidence or, or self-confidence. And that's where you spend the money and our communities. And it's not done. And it's a really hard thing to do. That's why you got people just kind of focused on selling products, but they don't have any tools. I mean, I've got probably about 40 to... No, I got probably 80 pages of coaching tools that we've created because we had people who didn't have money. And so we had to get, you know, get them to really communicate what they wanted to do. So that's what we're trying to do here in, in still to this day. And I still do this to the clients that come in making $5 million. But six months ago, we're sleeping on a couch and they had been playing music for five years in a car traveling from you know place to place. Yeah, that's super important. That's fascinating to me because I love how you broke down like the structure of the different levels and then how you basically try to accelerate that before they even reach the quote unquote Absolutely. success, right? Because you know, it's something you said about like being on bank, for example. I remember I came to the U.S. in 1991 when I was 11 from the Dominican Republic. And I remember my parents, it was the same thing. They didn't have any bank account. They, they used to go to the check cashing place. That was like where they did everything. Cash their check, they pay like $4 fee. Then they had to go pay the light bill, electric, whatever. Oh, and there was always a fee for everything, right? Mm -hmm. And then eventually, once I was old enough, I was like, why don't we get a checking account? And look, I can go online and pay your cell phone bill. You don't have to pay a fee for it, you know? Those yeah. little things like that. And, you know, another thing that struck to me that you said was like that survival mentality. You know, a lot of the times, 
when we come from other countries or poor background, we're only thinking about today. And I love what you said about we want to accelerate your mindset to start thinking about tomorrow. And it doesn't mean that you're necessarily giving up some satisfaction today, but the mindset has to change. And, you know, when you said there's light at the end of the tunnel and not a train coming at you, <laughs> that's so powerful to be like, mm-hmm. we want to make sure it's actually a way out, not like yeah. the trains. <laughs> that's just amazing to me. So the other thing about diversity is that I wrote my first book like back in 2000, I think, and I got it published with HarperCollins. And I started speaking nationally. And I to Latino groups, right? But I was being asked to speak by African American groups, by Lebanese groups, by whatever. And I would use terms that we would use with Latinos, right? The patron peon system, el Sancho, and all this stuff, and the crab syndrome, and all that. And everywhere I spoke at a community that was very similar to a socioeconomic, meaning poverty. There are poor Lebanese, there are poor Koreans, there are poor, you know, blacks, Latinos, but there's poor white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I noticed that the mindset was very similar when it came to more socioeconomic. Now, I also know Latinos and I know Blacks who come from super wealthy people and they don't know what it is to be a Latino that has not had nothing or parents. They're like third generation. Their parents were attorneys. Their grandparents were attorneys. They lived in really expensive neighborhoods and they can't associate what the struggle has been for most people here. Right. I've got kids. My kids, you know, are 30 years old, but they have a mom who was an attorney, a dad who's a financial planner, and, and they've been educated with all the information. And so their mindset's a little different. So to me, diversity is also that this financial planning industry was meant to help. Will you tell me, gentlemen, what like the top 5% of most income earners, top 10%? Mm-hmm. Tell me, like you said, they got to be six figures, right? But 90% are only being helped by either real estate agents or insurance agents. And let's call it out. Let's call it what it really is. Now, insurance agents don't Call me because I have an insurance agency now. I'm one of you guys, right? But basically in poor communities, that's how it's been. So we've got to figure out how to really say what is diversity and who we're really trying to help and, and what it is. So, you know, you could be Anglo, you can be Black, you can be whatever, but you can also be very wealthy. The mindset's already there. I don't need to change your mind. And But Latinos and poor Blacks, we have to treat them with dignity and respect. And if you don't come from those neighborhoods, I will tell you, it's hard for you to sit there and empathize with them and know what it is. Because I sit there and I scratch my head. I go, man, I'm, st- I'm like, I'm talking to my dad. I'm talking to my mom. I'm talking to my uncle because they frustrate me because again, but I realize I got to be patient and I got to meet them where they're at. I can't, you know, it's taken me years to get to this point. They're just starting out. I have to meet them where they're at and I have to understand that and I have to speak to them in their language. So that's what to me a lot of the diversity is. And that's why, you know, I've been involved in trying to recruit. I've paid for more CFPs from my firm for Latinos, and I think anybody I've gotten, you know, I've had, we're like at 30 people now, at least at our firm. And so the thing is that the goal is how do I get people and, and put them back where they're really needed and where can they go back? Where are their, where's their heart coming from? You know, are they in the industry to make lots of money or the industry to do good? And I said, no, you can do good and do well at the same time. It's not either or. You don't have to. You can do both. Yeah, that's powerful. And, you know, that's at the core of the BLX internship program. We noticed that a lot of the people that were getting into the industry came through that sales channel. You know, and I love how you put it. It's like products do have a place, but it's planning first, product second, right? To help implement the plan. So I remember. Well, well, I want to tell you one more thing. I think it's people first. Well, true. And then products. And then I'll share with you one last thing on the planning side. 
There's a wonderful book, if you haven't read, called by Elaine Olin called Pound Foolish. And in the book, she kind of calls out the industry. And Lisa, if you have not read that book, I think it's going to be life-changing. It's going to be an epiphany for you. So what I did is I went back and what she did is she used to be the LA Times money makeover writer. I, I don't know what she did before. Like she used to write for the gardening section or whatever. And she didn't know anything about money. But what she did is she put some of the top planners in Los Angeles with families and for years and did the money makeovers and wrote them in the LA Times. Years later, like 20 years later, 15 years later, she goes back to those families and realizes that nothing's changed. The families are in the same shape that they were when they first worked with these the high-power financial planners. And they realized that financial planning was not the key, that only 11% of the people that they had ever met had really implemented. And so that was this was a few years ago. And I had been thinking about this because my dad, who is an immigrant from Mexico, who rarely speaks even any English, is a really well-to-do man because I've done everything for him. I was my dad's, forget about financial planner, business manager before I even know where the business manager was. Because I got my dad's estate plan. I made sure he had term insurance. I made sure that he had a checking account and a savings account. And so what happened was, what were we talking about on, on the... I was going with... Oh, my, you said people first. Yeah, people Thanks. first. And so what's happening is that the doing. So what, what happened is we realized that we went back to all our clients to see if they had implemented a lot of stuff. And a lot of them hadn't implemented because after they meet with you, they go back home and life happens, right? Mm-hmm. So we made financial planning the assumptive and we went to financial doing. So the thing is, that when people tell me, what do you do? I'm a financial doer. I actually do it. That's why we're such great business managers because we pay the bills and we take care of everything. We get them their insurance. When a client doesn't have an estate plan, I don't give you the option. Let's say Luis, you, you or Emlyn comes with his wife and he doesn't have an estate plan. I already know which estate planning attorney will match his income level that can get his work done. And I said, Emlyn, I've already scheduled a Zoom call with your wife, you and your wife, myself, whatever. It's next Wednesday. It's going to be 1500 bucks to get the estate plan done. I don't give you a choice. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I've already got, I've got all your information on e-money. I'm going to give them that your network statement and we get it done. And I make sure that the property is transferred. I have a software that I can go and take a look at all the titling of all the homes in all the, in the United States. And I want to make sure that it did get transferred because some attorneys don't send in the deed to get transferred over. We double check that. And so what we've done is we now actually, we do the financial doing. The planning should be the assumptive. The planning is really important, but you know what? That's not the key. What good does planning do you? Or what good does an estate plan do you if you don't fund it? You don't transfer title to the properties. It's worthless. Same thing. So we took that attitude. So we're really busy because we do a lot of the day-to-day work for the clients. And it doesn't matter if they're coming from the barrio or they're coming from Beverly Hills. Um, you know, we're still doing the, the work because everybody's busy these days. And if you're poor, you, know, you may not have the money, but we'll figure it out how to do it. But we still get it done. But client, people are busy these days, man. And if they're poor, you're working two jobs to survive, right? Mm-hmm. And then you got kids. Can you imagine working two jobs? I can't imagine that. So, And then if you're wealthy, they're constantly traveling. I got clients that they're like, Herding cats. What country are you in right now that I'm talking to? Oh, I'm in Argentina. I'm in Spain. So we end up doing all the work for them. And they say, sign here, sign here, like my dad. Sign. This is what it's all about. Sign here. We're going to get this done for you. So they got to work with people they trust, right? At the end of the day. Absolutely. So I hope I didn't throw you guys off, but... Not at all. No, no, you're good. No, that's fascinating. I love that because you're so right. I mean, somebody telling me some stats, I think only like 4 million households in the U.S. actually have a financial planner, which is just like such a small percentage to begin with as a percentage of the population. I could only imagine what the numbers are in the minority population, you know. So I really love that, you know, people first, financial planning, then financial doing. Because it's true. I actually had my estate plan done. And I remember the attorney telling me some of the main issues that they've encountered was that a lot of people <laughs> didn't actually fund the trust. You know, they didn't yeah. change the title to the house. You know, something, yeah. 
They're like, what good is it, right? You have this yeah, trust the, just sitting the there. Worthless right? piece of paper. Yeah. yeah. So, so is planning as well. I also don't believe too much in written plans. I believe in bullet point plans. Our clients get a one-page res. You know, we resume everything on at an email. We're going to work on this. We're going to work on that. We're going to work on that. You know, they want a plan. They can go back and take a look at it, but nobody looks at it, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody looks at it. You can give it to them. They don't care. They're tr- what they're doing is they're trusting you that you know what the heck you're doing. And if you have a circle of support, like the attorney, that it's a good attorney that's going to get the word done and follow up and follow through. That if you're going to send them to the insurance agent to get an insurance that they're not going to try to move on from a term policy to a cash value policy without you knowing, right? Right. Then you come back and they find out, you know, it's like it wasn't what you told them that they needed to get. And so that's why we're involved in every every process to make sure it gets done correctly. It's so important to do that with your clients because sometimes, you know, that does happen. And like, I'm just listening to you and I'm thinking about like when we're talking to clients and it's so like you said some stuff about being from the neighborhood, being from that community and being able to go back and I think that it's so valuable to be able to have people to come back from the community because we know how to communicate. You can speak the language, you can talk to them. And when it comes to, I have this client now that we're talking about doing an estate plan and I've told them for years, right? Because they need to do an estate plan. And now I'm going to do what you said. I'm just going to decide, I'm going to set up everything. Say, look, we got all your information. Here you go. This is what we're going to do because I've watched them go through things and I've watched their family go through things. And now, because, you know, when we're working with people, we're usually working with mom and dad. I'm working with grandpa now, working with mom and dad. And then I work with their kids as well. And I'm seeing what's happening with grandparents right now. And I'm telling them, this is what's going to happen to you. And you need to get this taken care of. And I think that it's very important for planners that come from communities of underrepresented people. They get back into those communities and make sure that they get the work done. I I can't stress that enough. So That's just something that I really, really appreciate about what you're saying and what you're doing. And it's been, you know, an inspiration for like, it's always great to be able to come in and and hear what you're doing, because I think for planners like myself and and Luis, I would say young planners, but we can't even call ourselves young planners anymore. But, you know, it's the trail that you've blazed and that you continue to blaze. Every time I talk to you, I'm like, I need to start something else. Like, I need to do something. I need to I need to add another service offering or, or something to be able to add more value to my clients. And I just can't, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing. Well, no, I I appreciate, let me tell you, I've been doing this right since professionally, professionally since 1986. And I've been working in in impoverished communities. I mean, in the communities, right? And so one of the things that I've learned is also, I don't believe in pro bono. I know there's people going to hard to hear that from me, but when I went back to the community and I still did a lot of free work, for example, this is a true story. I had a family that was losing their home in East LA and beautiful family, this young couple, like maybe in their 30s with two young kids. And I was like, my heart was going out for them. And I said, listen, let me help you try to figure out how to get more time. And so we can try to negotiate with, get the loan and whatever. I said, but I need you to come in next week because I'm right, I blocked off the next couple of days. But if you can come on Monday or Tuesday, we can get this done. Oh no, we're going on vacation. We're going to Cancun. And they didn't have any money to pay me, but they were going on vacation. They were losing their home and they're going to Cancun. One of the things I early realized that it's a lot of it is about priorities, right? I had clients who were telling me, no, you know, it's kind of expensive. And then they were telling me about the concert that they were going to go see with Jenny Rivera, that the tickets were 400 bucks or something, but they couldn't pay me 250 bucks to solve a really important problem. And a lot of it is priorities, right? But we need to make them understand of the consequences of them not doing certain things. We have communities. And the thing is that, but if we know that, it bugs us. But at the end of the day, we realize the reason that way or they're hurting is because of their thinking, right? It's their mindset. And we understand that. So it's important that we all 
you know, we're together. I wish though, the only thing, and so I've seen industries really get into diversity and inclusion. This is the third wave in my career path that I've seen it now. I've seen, you know, you guys have come in. I really believe that until the advisors, the planners, the three of us, the 10 of us, the whatever can really work together long-term. We get together, but we don't work together. We don't help each other out. We don't whatever. And so we barely communicate with each other. What are you doing? And what are you doing? Right. And so it's been my kind of experience that it's like, I don't know if you've ever played with somebody who's got playing poker, they got their cards really up to their, you know, mm-hmm. in their chest. Mm-hmm. They don't let you see anything. And, you know, I've always been open, man. My life is an open book. You read my books and it tells you my entire life. That's one thing I don't have, you know, I don't have any secrets. And we got to work together as a team until, and if people are listening to us, that has been one of the frustrations. And when I'm having dinner or lunch with people of color in this industry, we all talk about how we've all been helped by somebody who's non-Latino, non-Black, some white Anglo person from this firm introduced us to that person that got us to the next level. And I want to hear those stories among that. Luis Barajas helped Luis Rosa get to the next level or Amlin helped Luis because guys, I'm struggling just like you. I mean, every day, you know, the, the business changes, things change. And trust me, I have struggles. You know, I went from just being me, myself and I to now I having like 25 people and you have no idea what it's like when you have 25. It's like a completely different world and I'm struggling with that. And so there's things that I'm struggling with that if you learn, because if you, Luis, you're going to grow, you said, you know what Lewis told me when he got to that point that I should really do this because this is what caught, it took him five years to learn that part that if he, now I learn it now, when I get there, I'm going to avoid all those problems there. We all have to work together and I wish we had something, but I would prefer not to do it where it was the diversity. It's like, if there's a group of people that's working under uh, with a certain socioeconomic, you know, level, you know, maybe from the lower 95%, not the top 5%, but 95% down. And, you know, what are you guys doing? Because it is a struggle. It is hard. It's, it's hard to get them in convinced. You know, Luis, I think you're doing taxes, right? I survived at the right. beginning. If I wouldn't have done tax returns, no way I would have made it. And then what I did, Luis, that I did tax returns. I got them in and I started doing planning. And then my dad told me, mijo, don't do the tax returns for free. Tell them going forward, you're going to do financial planning and the tax returns included and it's free. I like that. So then what I did is instead of charging back then, it was $100 for a tax return. I started charging $300 for a financial plan that included. And guess what? They paid me $300 that was a free. But you know what? I knew that they would come back no matter what, even worst case scenario, because they wanted their tax return. The tax return was sticky. And then the mindset was, I'm here to do my planning appointment. Before it was, you know, I would be answering the phone. I was a financial planner and they would be, and while I'm there, they'd pick up the phone and they'd say, I'm here with my tax guy. No, I'm not your tax guy. I'm your financial guy. Because I'm just trying to survive in this community. And then later on, it was, I'm here with my financial planner doing my tax return. So, you know, that's a big difference. Those are the little things that I learned that have made a huge difference to be able to survive. Because at the end of the day, if there's no income stability among us that wants to help people, we won't survive and we won't be there for the community. And we also have to make sure that the people in our community understand that by them paying us, we're surviving and we're going to be there long term versus. If they go somewhere else that, you know, they're not working with us as well. They don't understand that we're still businesses at the end of the day, right? And it's just not our, you know, they pay you 300 bucks. It doesn't go for you. It goes for the rent. It goes for the software. It goes for your admin. And it's a lot of work that we've got to get done. But at some point, we have to have some real honest, you know, closed door communications. Let everybody know what we all know. Get, you know, bring up the white elephant in the room. And then once we do that, then say, okay, and then how do we solve that problem among us? among us, right? And then that way we're going to be stronger and better to help actually our communities. 
Yeah, that is very well said, because at the end of the day, there's not even enough of us to handle the amount of people that need this anyway. So like we're not in competition and you know, a lot of people keep those cards close to the chest. And in reality, you know, we can just share amongst each other everything that we're doing, our struggles, our, our successes, and it's just going to make everybody that much successful. Yeah. Thank sure. you so much, Louis. This has uh, been a pleasure. I know you're getting on the road soon. So we wanted to thank you for being here. Uh, one last question that we have for you is, uh, what is the best piece of financial advice that you ever received? that you can think of. So it's kind of an interesting, right? Remember I told you that I met a gentleman at a coffee shop that yeah. they, it was a guy that wrote a book with HarperCollins about maybe eight years later after I met him. And I wrote a book with HarperCollins about eight years after I met him, the same oh, wow. we met again eight years later in New York. And the guy that I met was a guy named Rick Warren who wrote a book called A Purpose Driven Life. And that's what he spoke to me eight years before even the book was written called A Purpose Driven Life. Just so you know, gentlemen, that book has sold over 38 million copies. And he mentioned something to me that, that he'd been a pastor in a small church. It's now a mega church, but he'd been yeah. a pastor in a small church that had dirt floors and tents. And he said, but one thing is that he also had parishioners that were very wealthy, but he had never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And then in this life, we're not going to take anything with us. And the most important thing is that if we're using money, we use it as a tool to live a better quality of life for our children, for our families, to take care of ourselves and our health and everything else. Because at the end, you know, it's we're chasing money working harder, working longer when we're missing out on some of the, like, I just saw Emlyn, your daughter popped in before we jumped on this podcast, your beautiful daughter, right? And there's no coming back to the time. This is the time that you're going to see her this long. She's gorgeous and they grow up and then they become teenagers and then you don't want to be with them anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's one. And the last thing is just, I will share with you what the secret to all of this has been. And if man, if you just don't save, you know how they talk about pay yourself first? If you just paid yourself first, by the time you're my age, you're going to have more than enough money. But we don't do that because we're still kind of living paycheck to paycheck. So that automatic savings, right? Just have money taken from your checking account and put into an investment account, right? Spend less and you earn and invest a difference. That's it. That's the secret to becoming yeah. wealthy. Spend less and you earn and invest a difference. Love it. Yeah, great. I mean, I think that's incredible. Great advice. Very, yeah, it's great. That, like we like to say, Louis, mic drop. <laughs> Fire emojis on, on the screen. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to continuing to see your new projects. Everybody, definitely be on the lookout for Opportunity Knocks on PBS coming out soon. And uh, yeah, wish you the great success with your new venture. Louis, I'm sure you're going to do excellent. And thank you again for taking the time to be with us. Uh, gentlemen, if there's anything that I ever can do to help you, I see the work that you're trying to do. And like I said, you, I am in spirit. I see you guys on LinkedIn all the time, what you guys are doing. You should see my little thumbs up or whatever's in there. But if there's anything that we can do to help this community and not just the people in our community, but the advisors that are really trying to make a difference, but are still struggling, we call them out and we put them in the room and we all, we can take a plastic bat to each other if we have to. But the thing is that let's get together and let's do more of this. Okay. Absolutely. Yes, we'll do. Thank you so much. Right, love you guys. Love you too, man. Thank you. Thanks take for coming care. on. Thank you for listening to the Diversity in Action podcast. To learn more about the BLX Internship Program and sign up for our newsletter, please visit our website at blxinternship.org.